Welcome to Hard Beautiful Journey. This is a podcast about addictions, mental health, and unresolved trauma. Do you want to feel less alone and more supported on the addiction journey you never thought you would be on? Do you find yourself asking questions such as, how can I help my loved one overcome their addiction? And am I doing enough? Do you wake up afraid that today will be the day your loved one overdoses and passes away? Hey, I'm Tiffany. I too felt helpless and wished that I could do more to help my brother who was struggling with addiction and mental health. I wanted him to find the help he needed and turn his life around, but I kept telling myself, it's too hard to beat this, there are not enough resources, and I'm not a professional, so what else can I do? I felt alone until I found hope through community, and I want to help you do the same. In this podcast, you will find community, hope, and resources to support your loved one through their addiction, and most importantly, support you. So grab a seat, get your earbuds in, and let's take this hard, beautiful journey together. Hey friends, thanks for checking out this episode of Hard Beautiful Journey. As always, I am super grateful that you are here. Today is the conclusion of the episode with Corey Goche from episode 70. If you didn't check that one out yet, I highly, highly recommend it. After realizing the live fast, die young lifestyle had some deep rooted trauma attached to it, Corey began his journey into plant medicine and psychedelic therapies. This journey led him down a path that opened up his world in ways he never knew existed and eventually opened the doors to a new career as a plant medicine entrepreneur. The powerful healing from plant medicines is one he now wants to dedicate his life to. I can't wait for you to hear the conclusion of this episode with Corey. So let's get to it. Tell me and my listeners about your experience in Africa sitting across yeah, from the so, tribesmen. <laughs> so shortly after we opened our center, my partner and uh, a lot of the other providers that trained with the shaman, uh, Muginda, down in Costa Rica, he moved back to Africa and uh, set up sort of um, Muginda's village there. And he, uh, he, 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 they all kind of were planning a big trip to kind of go do some more training with him and just check out his new village. And uh, my partner and I, at the time, uh, we actually donated the money so he could build a brand new temple for when we came. And so it was really amazing to see this beautiful, like, temple that, you know, that was built. Awesome. And so, yeah, it was, uh, it, it was an amazing life experience. It, it was no vacation. It wasn't, <laughs> was not like. You didn't oh, go on a safari? See, yeah, we're going to go see zebras and giraffes and no, nothing no, like no. that. Yeah, you're in you know Central West Africa in a little country called Gabon, and uh, very very rough you know very very rough rooted into the like very traditional very like they live in the jungle it's mm-hmm. no like it's no messing around like these they're they're, they're very tough and you know very strong people mm-hmm. but uh, yeah it was it was very very challenging at times. Um, you know, there was no, there was no showers and, you know, things like that. There was no, like the, the food was, you know, <laughs> you, you, were, you questioned what it was most days. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, we, we went there for a few weeks and lived right in the jungles um, with, um, with Muginda and his village. And, you know, it was like really beautiful ceremonial um, parties at night. And, and these people are so like, they're, they're just on, such a different wavelength than we are over here in the West. Like there is no night and day to them. Like, it's not like they're up in, you know, during the day and then, you know, having fun at night and then they go to bed. These, when they start like partying and and having ceremonies, they last for days, like days and days. And it's mind because you're just like, you know, and they're, they eat boga as well. Like, but more ceremonial, like they don't, they don't hold any of these traumas and stuff that we hold over here. So, you know, again, such a beautiful gift for us to receive something like that from way over there to understand how it can help with the Western culture, because that's not the way they use it over there. Right. You know? And so, um, so yeah, there were some really beautiful ceremonies. I did my, uh, my rites of passage um, and in my initiation into the Baliti tribe, uh, the rites of passage is um, so it's basically bringing people from boyhood to manhood. 
you know, we were all, there was 13 Western men and the women got brought to another village for their, for their rites of passage. Mm-hmm. And so there was 13 of us Westerners. And then there was 14 or 15 Africans that were, we were all kind of thrown into the temple together, stripped naked, little sort of African towel put around our parts. And, yeah. uh, and it was four days of, of pretty much like a concentration camp. Like, you know, Muginda, we all got into the temple and they stripped us and took our clothes and put us in these things. He walked in and he just said, I know up to this point we were friends, you know, and you guys respect me as your shaman. He's like, but no more. For the next countless days, you're not going to like me. He's like, because yeah. the whole point of this tradition and ceremony and, and or this rites of passage is to break you. And he said, and trust me, we will break you. Yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, God. I, what the I, heck? I, I just wanted to come to Africa. You know? <laughs> Where's the zebras? <laughs> and um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was really, really intense. Like, uh, you know, we're not supposed to talk too much about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, because some of the tradition. But I will say that there was, you know, there was physical beatings, starvation, just a lot of mind stuff that they would mess with you. No sleep for four days. It went on, shaved our heads bald, covered us in palm oil. Uh, We did this one crazy ceremony where we met this uh, African God, but we couldn't see him because they put this medicine in your eyes that blinds you for about five, six minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, yeah, we all got, you know, we all got cut very deeply into our arms. Uh, There's a, you know, an eyeball that we all got right here. And then three really big, deep cuts here that I were scarred for life. And, and like I said, it was, it was really, really brutal. And, you know, I'll tell you another actually story. So at that time as well, again, this was all really being fast forwarded really quickly, my, my path into this plant medicine realm and all these things that were happening and just, you know, really witnessing things that I never thought I would ever witness in my life with my own two eyes. Like, you know, there was just a lot of like manifestation that was really coming true. My connection to the universe was stronger than ever. Mm -hmm. And so it was day four after of like sleeping on a concrete floor in the back of the temple. Like I'm talking like spooning with the African guy in front of you and the (laughs) Westerner African behind you spooning with you to stay warm like because there was no blankets it was like sleeping on like concrete and just freezing cold at nights and shaking and then they'd come in in the middle of the night and wake you up and like come out and like throw throw you in these mud puddles and do these like this crazy ceremony with you and and bring you back and put you back in the room and yeah yeah. but anyways uh so on the fourth day I was laying on the concrete floor and I went to get up and I, I couldn't, I just, I had nothing left in me. I was, I was physically, mentally, spiritually beaten down. I was broken. They just, mm-hmm. uh, it was just like, and I kind of fell back on the ground and uh, I was looking up at the uh, top, you know, the ceiling of the temple. And, and I just, I pictured my son, Logan. And uh, you know, and I, I said to him, I just said, Hey, I'm doing this for you. You know, I, I'm doing all this for you because I, I want to be a better father to you. Like mm-hmm. I want to share that, you know, I get rid of all these things, all this shit that doesn't serve me anymore because I want to be the best father to you that I can be. Anyways, I, I didn't think much of it at the time, but it was a, you know, it was, it was really, really, yeah, it was a really deep in my heart sort of emotional thing that was coming out of me about that. And um, anyways, we got up and the ceremony ended that day around, or the rites passage ended around five o'clock that night. And then it, it was just pure love. I mean, you know, the, the guys that would come from other villages to like punch you as hard as they could on the top of the head or whap your knuckles with bamboo or like give you the craziest back slaps that you've ever had, like 20 in a row, things like that. Like yeah. it was just brutal. Yeah. It was all love. You know, mm-hmm. it was all like you were part of that. You, you finished your rites of passage. You were a man. And, and, you know, and the whole point of that rites of passage for the, for the African, you know, there was six-year-olds that was doing get put through this just like us grown men those six-year-olds yeah. that's what they do it twice they do it a six years old and 12 years old yeah. and they got to you live in the jungle of africa you got to be tough and, and the whole point of it was they, to, to break your mindset that fear exists because mm-hmm. it doesn't it's a mindset that's what they that's what the whole point was and and it was true like after you come out of your you're like i get it like fear's not real i'd make it up in my mind it's like the things we fear why should we fear them really mm-hmm. I, what am I? I'm, I'm afraid of death. Why would I be afraid of death? I don't know what's going to come after this. I can hope that there's something, but why would I fear that? Mm-hmm. I fear 
you know, so it was really, yeah, we came out of it with this really like, wow. Anyway, so yeah, it was all love and it was a little celebration after. And, and um, so that night I called, uh, called my ex-wife and, and just, I, you know, I just said, how's, how's everything going there? And kind of filled her in on the last four days of what was going on. And, and she's like, oh my God, Corey, like I'm, I'm kind of tearing up over here. And I said, why, what's going on? And she's like, well, it was so weird. She's like, but this, today I picked Logan up from school and, uh, and she goes, he, uh, he goes, mom, dad came and see me from Africa today. And she goes, what are you talking about? And he said, yeah, he gave me a hug, told, told me he loved me. And, and then he went back. <laughs> I seriously like burst out in tears. Like I was just like, oh my God, like you have no idea. And then I told her the story of oh me laying on the floor broken. God. And, like, having this heartfelt message to him and he got it. <laughs> he, oh he actually my, I he have received that full lesson. body goosebumps like <laughs> on top of my yeah, goosebumps. It was like it was again and for myself at the time it was like okay I came to Africa so and this what was the big lesson I can I believe in now I believe that there is a God I believe there is this source I don't know what it is and again like I'm you know we were raised in a Catholic school I I I I, I love that everybody has a belief system because we all need it yeah. whatever that may be whether it's religion whether it's spiritual whether it's just believing in the universe but yeah. that right there was i i have never thought twice about it ever again my yeah. my you know my love for god and, and my spiritual side after that was there was yeah. no question to ask how can you <laughs> doubt it after that right totally. oh my goodness so oh, okay <laughs> <laughs> that is uh, honestly, I'm still got goosebumps over here. Oh, thank you for sharing that. That is um, um, intense. Was it the same experience for your partner in the women's side? It was, yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of abuse uh, from the women. Um, they <laughs> different sort of things, you know, obviously, because they're women that uh, like obviously weren't going to shave their heads bald like they did to all of us men and. And the ritual were like, they put us on a log and we always had to, we always had to sit like this, no matter what, like at any time of the day, we had to sit with our heads down like this, no matter where we were at. And if you lifted your head, you got a knuckle to the top of the head <laughs> or you got, you got you, you, they made an example of you. If you yeah. Yes. Yeah, so we were all on a log and they covered us in palm oil. And then in the deep, in the jungle, you would hear these drums going and you're just like, kind of like looking up like, oh God, like what's coming. And, and left, I was probably like 10th person on the log. And all of a sudden you'd hear all this chanting and screaming and drums playing. And, and then all the Africans like in full, like African face paint and their whole outfits and like yeah. just come running up ah! and like, and boom, they grab the first guy up the log and throw him over their shoulder. And they all go running as fast as they can into the jungle. And you're just like, Oh my God. Coming. <laughs> and it was uh, yeah, just one by one. They started, you know, like every 10 minutes they came running up and plucked another one and plucked another one. And, and, uh, and that's where like, yeah, the, the, the big ceremony sort of took place where we got the carving in our arms. Yeah. And yeah. I actually posted a picture on my Instagram account where it says, let's go to Africa. She said, it will be fun. <laughs> she said, so that picture was taken right after everybody kind of got like to the fire at the very end of that part. And, uh, yeah. and so they took a picture of us. Uh, and we're all, we don't look very impressed. <laughs> it was a little bit brutal. Oh yeah. my goodness. So you and your partner started your own center and you helped hundreds and hundreds of people and you explained why you're not doing that anymore. Do you want to share that story? Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, at the time when we started our center, Sacred Soul, Iboga wasn't illegal up here. It was just unregulated, which meant you could work with it, you know, kind of behind closed doors because they just didn't really know a lot about it at the time. Um, but, you know, you, you couldn't, you couldn't run a fully insured company. You couldn't get insurance or things like that for what mm -hmm. you were doing. It was still about as high risk as you possibly could do because the truth is, even though we were doing a, real, a lot of really, really great work and, and the team we had, we had a full medical team work that worked for us. So every ceremony that was, you know, we had our, our paramedics that were on site all the time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we ran it basically like a traditional Bwiti African ceremony meets a five-star resort. You know? yeah. So had mm -hmm. a very amazing five-star vegan chef that like lived on the premises that catered to everybody's um, needs. 
And so, and then you had your two ceremonies that you went through and then your days of integration, which we would take them on day trips and stuff. And so it was a really beautiful experience for people, uh, not just the healing, but the whole package, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately we, um, you know, we were taking on drug addiction cases because, you know, like everything in Canada, your overhead's quite high. And, and we really did want to help a lot of the people that were suffering from drug addiction because, as far as I know, there's not a lot of other options out there for people to actually be able to have the tools to kick these drugs out of their system in the short time frame that Iboga can do it. Yeah. Um, and so we, were, we worked with a lot. We had a lot of really positive drug addiction cases that came through the doors um, and, you know, some not so lucky. And there was this one incident where um, a gentleman came in. Uh, he was hooked on oxys for, I think it was 20 years. Um, you know, same story that we heard a lot. Went to his doctor because he put his back out. Doctor prescribed him Oxycontins. Basically, he got hooked on Oxys, couldn't get Oxys anymore. Basically, went to the streets, started doing heroin. You know, mm-hmm. We heard that story. A million know, times, yep. Times. And so we we made the uh, we made the choice to bring him in. And uh, but we had a, we had very very strict protocols. Um, you had to be clean, for instance, or at least. On a, on a slow acting opiate before you came in, because uh, what a lot of people don't understand is, you know, heroin is a horrible, horrible drug, but when they try, when you enter the medical system to try to get help, and it does help a lot of people, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying anything negative about it, but it's, it's, it becomes its own addiction in itself when they put you on Suboxone, when they mm-hmm. put you on um, methadone, these kind of things, yeah. because those drugs are long lasting opiates, mm-hmm. heroin acting opiate so the reason i say that is because when iboga works on you on that level what happens is when iboga gets in your system it has these things called scrubbers and they actually go into the receptors and they can scrub these receptors clean in the period that you're you know going through your ceremony when it's oxys oxys or those kind of things it's not so easy because they're long lasting so it's really hard can i interrupt you for a second yeah. because so my brother um he was um addicted to opiates and he was on the methadone program. Then he went on to the suboxone program and it was always my understanding and my family's understanding that once you're addicted to opiates, those receptors, those pockets in your brain can never be filled again, except with opiates is that's not the case. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, come out, saying things that obviously might be misconstrued by some people, some of your Mm -hmm. listeners, but um, the medical system has its own way of dealing with our opiate crisis. And I think that we can all agree it's not working. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. But I know that again, it's just the medical system and they do what they can with what, with what resources they have and and what they, what they know. And so, you know, I know that there's been a lot of, there has been a lot of positive outcomes uh, on the, on the way that they do things, but the reason Iboga works so well with opiates is that exact statement. So, you know, there's, there's a spiritual side to Iboga, obviously, but the, the components that make up Iboga, uh, they're one of the, mo- the most stronger components, one of the stronger alkaloids that exists in it is called Ibogaine. And what Ibogaine does is kind of has the ability to go in while you're taking it and go into those receptors and actually scrub them clean because yes, exactly. Like you said, that's what creates the withdrawal is that, that the opiate sits within that receptor. And then all of a sudden you stop giving that receptor, the opiate, and it's the receptor that starts panicking going, why, why aren't you giving this? To where me? are Give you? It to where me. are you? Yeah. And so the ibogaine can actually go in and scrub these things clean and get rid of all the opiates that are existing in it. And again, most people that work with, you know, drug cases will, either shift the person off of those like methadones or suboxins and put them right back on heroin because it's easier to scrub the heroin out of the receptors than it is those, those drugs. Right. Mm -hmm. So again, I I don't, I don't want to put myself in a position of saying what's right and what's wrong because some it's 50, 50 in a sense, some things work, some things don't, you just, uh, you know, but that that was really interesting for me to hear that, that there's there is something else that can fill and clean those receptors 100%. not just suboxone or methadone like that is not 100%. just the answer right you know and, and like we spoke about last night there is addiction has it's like an onion there's so many layers to addiction mm-hmm. you know? 
it's not just about removing the the opiates out of those receptors and being like okay you're not hooked on heroin anymore you're good go have a good life yeah there is so much trauma that is involved at the beginning stages of addiction and if you don't start working on that you know the, the pre the pre addiction and the post addiction after you do these treatments you're just going to fall back into the same place because the reason you be, most people become addicts is to bury that pain that, that that has been buried for so long like myself you know it's like i get that it's like and if you don't really get to the root of that problem it, it, it's just going to keep coming back it's just you know so it doesn't matter what plant medicine or what drug you try to get off if if it's not taken into sort of a multi-layered sort of approach to help you you know post-integration is such an important important factor after you do these plant medicines it's the most important uh part of this is the post-integration and the pre-integration so yeah, I think it's just uh, our system just, it, 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 it's, a, it's a real Band-Aid effect. You know, I think that we, we like to make it look like we're trying to help. And, and, and like I said, sometimes it works. But mm-hmm. from what I've witnessed with plant medicines and, and what I've seen with my own two eyes, not just what I've heard, yeah. but what I've actually witnessed in our center and, you know, and, and heard stories, thousands and of stories. And your own experience. And my own experience, you know, like it's undeniable of how powerful this is. And, you know, and if your listeners are interested, I have a couple of places that I can, you know, recommend. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, Let's hear that. Opiate, opiate treatments to also just if psychospiritual, which is like, you know, depression, post-traumatic stress, maybe just some really wanting to get connected again. Maybe it's just depression, whatever, but, yep. uh, but we, I can give those to you or say, mention them later. But anyways, going back to why we, we shut our doors is, Unfortunately, this gentleman came in, he showed up at our door and it was pretty apparent that he was, he didn't follow through with the protocol that we, we asked. He was already going through pretty bad withdrawal, um, at the time. And we just, you know, we really wanted to help this guy. This was like, you know, months of back and forth with him and working with his family and trying to, you know, get him on, on board and, yeah. And anyway, supposedly he disappeared for a week before the treatment and his family didn't know where he was. Oh, he showed mm-hmm. up at the door. We didn't know if he was showing up or not. And he did. He showed up at our door and we're like, and we're like, let's just help this guy. We can help him. Let's do it. And uh, anyways, he came in and, and um, you know, he did the treatment, but he was an older gentleman and uh, he was also on heart medication. So, you know, there's a full screening that any legitimate Ibogaine or Iboga center or ayahuasca center will do before bringing you in. Um, so if somebody offers to do an Ibogaine or Iboga treatment with you and they don't have a medical staff or a screening process, do not do it mm-hmm. because you, you cannot take this stuff lightly. There has been a lot of people that have died from Iboga treatments. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say a lot, but there has been people that have died from Iboga treatments because of not doing the proper protocols at the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we took it very seriously, but uh, we just we just felt a little bit forced at the time because he was at our door and we just you know he was going through withdrawal. We just said let's just let's do it. And so you know it, it, we put him through the treatment. The treatment worked, um, but it was just you know again we had a full medical staff and and just some of his you know his um, his signs were kind of like depleting a little bit that we started noticing. And our first and foremost protocol is if it's something that we feel is a risk to his health or his life. We, we get him to the hospital right away. And we, and we chose to do that. So we called an ambulance and we had him brought to the hospital and, um, and he survived. And sadly, you know, he, as soon as he got to the hospital, they misread what was happening to him and they thought he was going through severe withdrawal, which was not the case. And uh, they put him right back on opiates and put him on methadone. And, uh, you know, he followed up with us after the treatment to called us to thank us for everything we did. And, uh, and he, he said, you know what? I'm so upset with what happened there because he's like, even though I, I felt my body was kind of like, you know, not doing well on, because of my heart medications and stuff. He's like, it was the first time that I actually didn't feel any need to want to do drugs. He's like, mm-hmm. I didn't feel I needed to take oxys or anything. He's like, it was the first time in 20 years that I felt that. He's like, but then I got to the hospital and they, they, they were telling me, no, you're going through withdrawal. This is what you need. And he said, they put him back on methadone, unfortunately. And uh, unfortunately he was, right back on the drugs again so yeah yeah it was quite sad but anyways because of that incident um yeah we we kind of got they notified health canada obviously because somebody had to go to the hospital for what we were doing and uh health canada wasn't against what we were doing it was just 
a book of here's what you need to prove to us of you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and all things and one of them was insurance and so it was it just yeah we just we made a conscious effort at the time that you know we we were also quite exhausted running these centers and I have so much respect for the people that do this work because you know when I first got into that I thought it was really cool and it was gonna be fun and you know yeah. and when I seen how exhausting it because you were there to literally pull all of that negative energy from those people you that's what your job is to you know absorb that energy but also be able to put up a shield that you're not your own up. shield yeah and it's quite impossible to not be able, not have not do that you know and so we all just we all were quite burnt out at that time and you know it was just it was enough we felt we, we seen the quality of our lives actually depleting quite quickly mm-hmm. and you know it was kind of an effort to say do we, do we want to continue? So we, we, we still continued. Uh, we opened a different center for um, about six to, about eight months to a year and uh, up in Pemberton. And, uh, but we didn't take any drug addiction cases. It was just all psycho-spiritual, which mm-hmm. was, which was a nice, you know, it was a nice to work with people that were just there to really get in deep on some of the past traumas they've had or depression, mm-hmm. those kind of things. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you helped hundreds of people in hundreds. that time. Yeah, and that's something and to be so incredibly proud of, right? Definitely. Like all those hundreds of lives that now can do something and totally. share their lives with other people, right? That is huge. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was beautiful to, you know, I was, I've never been in a position in my life where I had the opportunity to help people like that. And, and it's one thing to, uh, you know, help somebody lend somebody some money or you know do something like that's a good deed kind of but again when you when you really scratch the surface of some of the traumas that these people suffered through their lives it it really just you know really made me analyze a lot of about humanity and just the world we live in and just you know why and how people can do that to another human being or Mm -hmm. you know what, what 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 would possess somebody to have to do those kind of things, you know? And so mm-hmm. it was really hard on the soul as well, like for us. And, you know, luckily because we worked with the medicine, we were able to, you know, continue taking the medicine quite often. And you know, every ceremony we would take medicine with the guests so we could connect with them and mm-hmm. you know, really have this really connection. But, um, but yeah, it just, it, it got to a point where enough was enough. And, you know, and, and mm-hmm. now as I, I support it fully. I, you know, I have some really amazing brothers and sisters that work with this medicine uh, down in Costa Rica. Um, there's a center up here in Vancouver. Um, but uh, yeah, they're, they're doing good work. And I really hope that at some point oh, soon, because this opiate crisis is just getting so out of control. And I mean, we've never ever seen or witnessed a, a beast like fentanyl. And, mm-hmm. you know, and this is not anything to take lightly. And I think, um, I think that it's really horrible and, and horrific to see what's happening, but I think we need it to get horrific so that these guys start opening their eyes to what needs to happen. And mm-hmm. we are starting to witness there is a little bit more, you know, understanding to psychedelic therapies, plant medicines, you know, things like that, that hopefully the government will get more on board and start funding because we, at one point, there was our center and three other centers, if not four other centers that were running up in Vancouver alone. And now none of them exist because of the, the, the regulations. They've all mm-hmm. moved up. And the fentanyl, like we were talking about last night, it's, it's not just the addicts and the people that are hooked on opiates or oxys or whatever, heroin. It is <laughs> everybody that might try cocaine and it's it's late it's it's in there weekly yeah your weekly recreational party you know party guy is like now at risk you know Mm -hmm. the the young kids that are going to raves for their very first time are at risk the like everybody is at risk and that's so this is not just a social problem of oh it's just the people that are living you know homeless kids that are living down and out no this is you could be coming from a family of lawyers and your kid could be out one night and buy drugs from somebody they don't know. And that could be, that could be it. And let's be crystal, crystal clear. The amount of fentanyl is minuscule and it kills you. 
minuscule. So like, it has to be something that we take more serious. And, and I really do think that we are starting to take it more serious. Um, but just this Avenue is something that really, um, has opened my eyes and, and it's just something else that we can explore, right? You never know what it's going to do for you and hearing personal stories like this. Like I, I have another friend, that I was telling you about last night that had the same experience or similar. And she was hooked on oxys for years and she is clean. And so when you start to hear people that you actually know and the experiences that they've gone through, you need to actually listen and pay attention and and respect that that worked for you. And it might work for other people as well. Right. So I am so grateful that you shared this with me and my listeners, um, some of it very hard and like it, it takes a lot to share these kind of vulnerabilities. And I'm just so grateful that you, you shared it with me. I really, really am. I hope you know that. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. I, I'll be honest. I love talking about this stuff. I'm I'm a huge psychedelic therapy advocate. Um, again, I've witnessed things in my life that I never thought were possible. And and when I see again this this breakdown, this systemic breakdown that's happening all around us, because there's so much pressure nowadays on you know on the kids on uh, you know this this trauma that's even just going to come from our children through this COVID when they get older we better be ready for that. And if we don't have some plans in place, like this opiate crisis is going to be ending out of control. And so, you know, I think that, you know, the, the, the plant medicines, you know, again, with the government not getting on, or or if the government can get on board, it would be great because again, like, yes, there is a lot of people that can't afford these treatments. Not everybody can hop on a plane and fly down to Mexico and get, you know, one of these opiate or um, ibogaine treatments for opiates Mm -hmm. because, it's not like it is cheap, unfortunately, but that's just because of, they don't, you know, a lot of these guys aren't doing it to make money. It's just their overhead is really, really high. It's like, you know, it's, it's not a cheap process, but if you had the government on board, you, you know, and, and the amount of funding that they put into other components of addiction, it's like, start putting into things that we know work, like mm-hmm. research this, understand it. Sure. It will take time, but once you can understand it and see the positive benefits of it, and if you can connect the two and that's, the other thing that I think is really, really important is like, you know, there's the traditional aspect to these medicines that is very, very important, but you need to connect it to the medical system as well. You need to, you know, you need to have a treatment center where you can give a patient ibogaine and watch them go through the, the withdrawals and the, and the process of that coming out of their system while they're hooked up to medical equipment and, you know, checking Monitor their vitals, them, yeah. monitoring them while they're going through it. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it does exist in Mexico, but it, you know, most people that do some do drug addiction sort of um, cases with Ibogaine, it's like, it's, it's more based on, you know, the spiritual side of it or the, the ceremonial traditional mm-hmm. side. So there's a lot that can be done, but, you know, I really feel we every day, you know, I'll read something or see something on social media and just the doors are starting to open because I think we are becoming a society now that is kind of getting a little fed up and we really are starting to look at alternatives. You know, I think when it comes to just depression alone, you know, the microdosing sort of phenom that is happening right now with, you know, psilocybin mushrooms with LSD um, is it's, it's amazing. I, I know so many people that, you know, are microdosing with psilocybin or LSD that are completely different people now in their lives because of that. And if they didn't have that, have access and they had to take some pharmaceutical drug that was like, you know, in comparison, it's like, well, there is nothing in comparison. This mushrooms come from, you know, from mother earth, like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. nothing greater. We are so connected to nature and that's, you know, a whole nother topic of what we learned in Africa and like, and understand with these medicines is like, these medicines work because we are these medicines. Mm-hmm. We are all part of this. You know, mm-hmm. we are nature. We all come from the same source. It's like, and so that's why, you know, trying to look at some sort of chemi- chemically made <laughs> lab drug that has all these side effects. When you look at the side effects of, you know, I- Iboga or ayahuasca or psilocybin mushrooms, it's like, 
it's, it's very, very small. Mm-hmm. <laughs> List yeah. is very small. So let's hear um, a couple of your recommendations. Okay, so yeah, my brother and sister, uh, we, my Buiti brother and sister that I was in Africa with, um, yeah. he runs a center down in Costa Rica called Awaken Your Soul. It is a beautiful, beautiful um, experience that they have set up down there. Uh, again, they've kind of have this synergy between the traditional African Buiti um, tradition and also, again, like a five-star sort of resort. Uh, the property that they have down there, it's right in the deep jungle of Costa Rica. It's just, you know, the thing with the, these medicines too is that when you're really, really deep into these medicines, you feel your connection so much to like nature and like that stuff, right? And so to be to experience it at their center is just next level. And they have one of the most amazing vegan chefs at Pam that works on site. Um, again, they t- kind of do their two days of integration where you go one day, you go to this beautiful waterfalls for like, you know, a nice little swim. And another day you go to the beach and then you do two like really amazing deep boga ceremonies. And, the, you know, they're, they're about as professional as you're ever going to meet. They have tons of experience. Anthony, again, has been to Africa, I think four or five times now um poor guy got malaria one time while he was there oh like he's he's been through it he actually just yeah. spent two months down in peru working with uh ayahuasca so he's very well-rounded when it comes to this stuff so i they're my first go-to i've been to their center uh, i trust them mostly they don't do drug addiction cases though they mm. only do psychospiritual so okay okay um and if you are you know looking for um addiction uh, addiction centers the best one I would recommend is called Clear Sky Recovery, which is in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, they are, like we spoke earlier, a medically assisted ibogaine treatment center. So you are hooked up to machines while you're going through it. It's very professional, very you know, very serious of how they run it. So mm-hmm. they would be the first people I would recommend reaching out to um, when it comes to that, if you can afford to go to Mexico and go through that. Um, I, I think it's clearskyibogain.com. Oh yeah. And awakenyoursoul.co. Okay. And then Inner Realms is in Vancouver. His name's Gareth Moxley. Very, very well known in the plant medicine community. And, and you know, he's been working with Iboga and Ibogain for a long, long time. He, uh, he runs a center out here as well in Vancouver. So yeah, it's inner realm, innerrealmscenter.com. Okay. Um, so if you're in Canada and you just, yeah, he would be the guy to reach out to. And I do believe he does also addiction cases as well. So, okay. Um, but yeah, those are, you know, I, I definitely put my name behind all three of those um, for what I know. There are other centers, you know, and other people working with Iboga. I know there's a place in Calgary, a lady that works with it, but it's she, they don't do, again, you know, any addiction treatments, just mostly um, psycho-spiritual stuff. But they, they have a completely, they don't follow the African tradition. It's just more of, they just work with the medicine in, in, a, in, a, in their own sort of way. Um, which is great again. Um, so yeah. Excellent. I will put all of that in the show notes um, with all of those links for people to check out. Perfect. Thank you very much for that. Um, um, I end every episode with something I am grateful for. And then I ask you what you're grateful for. So you want to do that? For sure. Alrighty. So obviously I'm grateful that we finally connected after 30 years, (laughs) 30 years. The last time I saw you was at our school, McCoy high school in medicine hat. And, you know, you think you'll always see people again after like, we're so naive, aren't we? Yeah, I know. And then you literally leave from high school and you don't see each other again. So <laughs> it has been so I'm amazing. grateful for social media. That's the yeah. only reason I'm grateful for it. Otherwise, not a fan. yeah, I'm not a, big, not a big fan of social medias, but I love like that it's keep kept all of us connected to a level where we can do things like this. It's not, you know, so social media is one of those things where like you get you get out of it what you want out of it. And that's all I want out of it is just connection with, you know, like with people that I want to connect with. And that is, I just finished having this conversation with my cousin yesterday, actually is I'm taking breaks. Like I've, I've told myself I'm taking dedicated breaks from social media. Probably like I took one back in February for a month. And I think I'm going to do at least two a year, like full month. And where I just detox and go away and do my thing. Um, But I 
would not have met so many people in the last three years if it wasn't for social media and like the connections that I've made with people all over the world. So like, you got to take the wins and the losses, right? And like, this is one of my, one of my wins for sure is just reconnecting with you and having this conversation and that it's going to help so many people, right? So that is what I'm grateful for today. What are you grateful for today? Well, I think that's a really good one to be grateful because for, because it's true. And I think what you're doing is amazing. And, and, and I think it's a, a two-way street for you and, and, and your guest, because, you know, I feel coming out of this, you know, just and hearing your story and what started you from, or created, started you from having the show and like, you know, the beginnings of this is like, you know, it's, it's healing on both sides because, you know, to be able to sit here and just have a really amazing conversation with each other. And, you know, I, I think to me, conversation is a, it's a, it's a method of detox, you know, it's mm-hmm. just, it's about getting things out of us that we come sometimes just hold in as well. So I think mm-hmm. when you're yourself, you know, it's, it's really, really beneficial for you and your guests. So I think that's great. Thank you. It's connection at the end of the day, it's yeah, connection. Totally. Yeah. Right? So and I think we all need that a little bit more nowadays after coming out of COVID and, you know, I think we, even yeah. if it's over zoom, who cares yeah. if it's over zoom? <laughs> I wish it was in person, but at least I can see your face and, you know, like it's just, it's so refreshing to actually connect with people again. So I am, yeah, thank you. Honestly, this has been very informative and I, I definitely want to now go look into it more. I told you, I want to hang out with you and like, just experience this, um, on the spiritual side of things, because it just, it sounds, um, amazing in the way that it helps you look deep within yourself. And I'm totally game for that. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Uh, you know, if I do hear of any opportunities that might pop up up here, cause I, again, there's a, a very large community that we have out here of people that, you know, have worked with these medicines and been to Africa and, and you know, but just don't have the opportunity to do them up here legally, but, every once in a while, somebody will throw a ceremony together. And, you know, and I think that, yeah, when, when I hear of one, I'll definitely let you know. Hook me up. Let me know. Come out here and experience that. Because like I said, I think if everybody on this planet could either do ayahuasca or iboga, we we would have a completely different planet that we'd be living on. Because when you break through that ego, the way that you reconnect with everything is so different, you know, it's such a, such a different mindset because, it's not based on greed. It's not based on ego. It's not based on anything negative. It's based on love. That is that, the key. Uh, oh my God. Yeah, Once totally. you get through that F and ego, it's all love. Yeah. Uh, I catch myself too. You know, sometimes I'll say things or think things and I'm just like, shut the F up, ego. ego. I do too. And it, it, it's not once you've actually like, figured it out that you just, it just automatically goes away. No, it's an every single day. Get out of here. Ego. (laughs) Yeah. We're like, you know, we're just works in progress, you know, like I don't think that I'll ever get to a point where I'm, I feel that I'm, I'm fully good, you know, in a sense of like that, whether it's just more spiritual, like, you know, exploration within myself or, you know, there's, always things that are being added into the, into the, onto the plate that I, I, I'm constantly working on. And, you know, and, and it's, it's never like, okay, I'm good now. I've, you know, I've, I've done lots of iboga and ayahuasca and like, it's just, no, like, you know, week to week is just like, you know, there's things that happen in your life that create new traumas, new, you know, new obstacles that you have to get through and, you know, as, as a parent, as a, a, a partner in a relationship, as, as a, a business owner, like there's always something that, you know, I add. And, and, and so I shed these layers when I do these, you know, these plant medicines or, or psychedelics. And then all of a sudden I feel the layers start piling on and then like mm-hmm. the ego starts coming back a little bit and you're kind of like thinking differently, feeling differently. And, you know, and, and so, so sometimes I have just like private ceremonies by myself where I, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just a little, and not that I recommend it, but I've done this a lot. So I, mm-hmm. I have a little more experience, but yeah. where I, I can literally just, you know, basically put myself in my bedroom, turn on my fireplace, eat a hero's dose of mushrooms and, you know, and, and turn on my psychedelic playlist that I've created and, and go through it for like five or six hours. And, and you know, and it's, 
there's a lot of laughing. There's a lot of crying. There's a lot of, you know, obviously psychedelic experiences, but when I come out of it every single time, I feel like those layers are shed again. I can, I can kind of focus again. I can move on. Right. And, um, but I definitely want to say that I'm, I'm not an advocate or a believer in, you know, people that are, I know this is a huge movement with psychedelics, especially with mushrooms. I'm not a believer in that. You should just eat a hero dose of mushrooms and go hang out in the forest by yourself. I feel like no matter what medicine or, or um, psychedelic you're taking, if you're taking it on for a therapeutic reason, Mm -hmm. I mean, if it's for recreational then Hey, it's recreational and enjoy yourself. But if you're doing it for therapeutic purposes, make sure that there's somebody there that's experienced to do these things with you. Mm -hmm. Never, ever do them alone. Um, I've seen a lot of really negative outcomes from that. And because you're trying to, you're going to have a lot of things surface when you go through that stuff. And if you don't know how, if you don't have the tools to work with it and understand it, it it can leave you in a way worse spot than you went into it. And and so can't say that enough to everybody is like never, ever do these therapies unless you have a trained provider or an experienced person that's done them with you that can help guide you through a lot of, a lot of the things that are going to happen while you're going through it. I've done it a lot now where I can, I can control myself and I know how to like, you know, I can put my mind in places where understand it and, and really understand what's going on. But yeah. Thanks for that clarity that that's really important for people to know that it's not something you should do on your own. If you have not, not to be taken lightly, it's yeah. really not to be taken lightly. And, and I know that, you know, a lot of people listen to Joe Rogan. I love Joe Rogan. You know, I know he has his views that a lot of people might not agree on or do agree, but when it comes to psychedelics, he's, he's been an amazing advocate for why we are where we're at because he was the first one that kind of was bringing guests on that were talking about microdosing. Um, Paul Stamets, if you haven't researched Paul Stamets, research him. He's one of the top mycologists in the world and understands mushrooms better than anybody ever will. And mm-hmm. he's a psychonaut. And so they, they really make it sound like it's this beautiful experience and this really great thing, but it's not for everybody. You know, if you're somebody that has, say, schizophrenia or bipolar, you're not going to want to go eat five grams of mushrooms by yourself in a forest and think that's going to go away. But you you need to talk to somebody before you make that choice, because, you know, there's a lot of sort of psychological damage that can be created from doing these and not being able to handle with what's going on. So it can make it much worse, right? Much, much worse. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I completely understand what you mean, like where you get to a point where, um, you're good. And then all of a sudden the layers keep coming back on, right? Like that onion just keeps kind of rebuilding on top of you. Right. Yeah. So I get it. Cause I was at a place where it was like, I'm good. I'm good. And then my brother passes away and then it's like, Oh, now I got this trauma to deal with. Right. So like you're, you're constantly working at this stuff constantly yeah, every are. single day. You're all works in progress. Yeah. And, yeah. and as long as you're doing the work, that's all that counts, mm-hmm. you know, because the other side of that coin is addiction, suicide, you know, severe trauma that, that leads into your family members, into your, your, your social life into, you know, so the, the key is just do the work and it doesn't need to be psychedelic therapy. It can be any type of therapy. It can be mm-hmm. what you're doing, creating a podcast, like talking with people, letting them, you know, speak their truth while you're speaking yours. Like there's a lot of different modalities out there that can help, uh, help us through these things. And so, you know, it's like, we just got to do the work. I think the key is, is that, and I've heard it from so many of my guests and I know it for myself. And I think you can say the same is that it isn't the addiction and it's not the depression and it's not the anxiety. It's the root of those things. And that is unresolved traumas, right. And like actually getting to the root of what the issue is that you are now covering and making feel better with drugs or a a mental health um, label, right. There's trauma that needs to be talked about and needs to be unearthed and just talk about it. Totally. Yeah. And, and I mean, that brings me back to just the power of, of, of plant medicines, because as, as we, you know, therapies are great and they work, but they can, they can last a long time. And, and sometimes, you know, when you really 
look at the financial burden that might bring of having to talk to a therapist once a week or twice a week, or, you know, or maybe not really being able to really get in deep enough that that trauma can actually go away. Whereas these plant medicines, they, they're, they're just different that way. It, it literally cracks into your psyche to a level that you just can't, you, we can't comprehend with our monkey brains because it's mm-hmm. just, you can't. But once you get in there, and you can really like dissect where that trauma is coming from. And like you said, get to the root of it, like go deep in and actually get to the root of it and start working on that. When you come out of it, it's like, it, it, it's just mind blowing. You're like, how? It's, it's almost like you're in disbelief because you've never thought it was humanly possible to be able to get into something so deep like that and, and actually, actually have a positive outcome for it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, so. absolutely. Okay. Like I could talk for hours, like I told you, so <laughs> Anyway, thank you again for this opportunity and for just sharing yourself with me and my listeners. And it's been amazing. So yes. thank, thank you. you so much. Really. I am grateful for, that you are doing this show and helping lots of people, you know, speak their truth and get that word out because the more people hear about all these different varieties of stories that you're, you're speaking about and the topics, I think, even if you help one person, then, then it makes it all worthwhile, right? Exactly. Just one. That's the goal. Yeah, Just one. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you, Corey. Thanks, Tiff. Corey, seriously, thank you so much for taking time to talk with me and share your stories with me and my listeners. It really is something special when you can reconnect with people, especially ones that were there in your formative years like high school. Hearing about the work you have been doing, not only for others, but also yourself, is really beautiful and I'm proud to say I know you. I am so happy you decided the live fast, die young lifestyle wasn't your path and found what works for your overall well-being. I would love to hear your feedback on this interview head over to Facebook and like the Hard Beautiful Journey page and comment on this episode's post. Hearing your feedback means the world to me, as do your reviews. I have made a page on my website completely dedicated to leaving feedback for the podcast and how-to instructions for leaving a review. I honestly, I know I sound like a broken record, but I honestly would be so honored if you would take time to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts because when you do, it really does help my show be put in front of bigger audiences and can help more people. Head to hardbeautifuljourney.com slash leave a review for more information. Until next time, be kind and stay well. Bye-bye.